Hello and welcome to another episode of Don't Shit on the Bus. I'm your host, Adam Omakais, tuning in all the way from Los Angeles, California, for episode number 84 with my good friend, Eric. Now, Eric, I've known for a long time. We toured together back on the Warp Tour days, but since then, he's gone on to tour with a lot of different types of artists. And, you know, I talked to him recently because our good friend Connor, producer and editor on this show, went on a tour with him. And I got back in touch with Eric, and I've known Eric for a while, like I said, and he's always been somebody to help get new people on tour. And in addition to that, he seems to work with artists in the early phase of their career. With those two things combined, I figured he'd be a good person to talk to and be like, hey, you know, what's it like getting these new people on tour? What do you look for? What makes them somebody you want on the road with you? In addition to that, he's toured with a lot of different genres, a lot of rap, and I have not. So I wanted to talk to him about that and just you know, catch up with him. Now, if you're looking at me and thinking, hey, Adam, you look like you're on your floor. You look like you're have this episode lit with a lamp in your bedroom. And you look like you might have just gotten over COVID for a week. Well, you'd be right on all of those things. I finally got it. Just me, my girlfriend did not. But because we live in a one bedroom apartment, I now live in just the bedroom. <laughs> so one bedroom apartment seems pretty small. One bedroom, even smaller. So I've been quarantining here for almost a week. And, you know, it's been rough. But, uh, you know, and if you want, stick around at the end. I kind of just, I always, I always reflect at the end of the podcast if you want to hang out. But with that being said, patrons, thank you so much for your weekly support per episode. We appreciate your contributions. we got Connor, we got Eva, we got me, all making a really, really rich living. No, I'm just kidding. But what you guys do is let us create this podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. And with that being said, I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Don't Shit on the Bus. All right, what's up, Eric? How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Good to see you. I'm good. It's nice to see you, too. I haven't seen you in real life in a while, but when we recorded Connor's podcast two weeks ago, you were there, man, and now you're here. I know. You finally brought me on. I'm very happy to be a part of this thing. It's super cool that uh, I get an opportunity to do this with you. We've known each other probably, what, like 10, 12 years now? I see stars? Yeah. Is that your first band? Uh, Yeah, that was the first band I tour managed, yes. I did everything on that tour. Actually, I was tour manager. I did sound. I, was it uh, warped? No, we did the. You were with Broadway, weren't you? Nah, you're thinking of Gage Young, probably. Oh my god! Yeah, no, you were with. Oh man, I'm just keep to, listing names and we'll hit one. Uh, I know it's a Florida band though, wasn't it? Because you're from. I didn't remember. No, I'm from Wisconsin. We're Midwest boys. Oh, okay. I see. What part of Wisconsin are you from? Madison. Really? My family is from, uh, on my mom's side is from that area. So, uh, oh, cool. Waukesha, Pewaukee area. And, uh, oh, yeah. By Milwaukee. Yeah. So every time I'm by, uh, Milwaukee, there's a place called Jimmy Grotto's that I always go to. They make a thing called a Ponzerato, which is like a deep fried pizza. And it's the best thing in the world. I, uh, uh we perfectly went out of the way. Deep fried pizza. Dude, it's so delicious. It's terrible. Let's go. You, but it's one of the best things in the world. Honestly, it's, uh, I mean, Good old Midwest food, you know. What I was I mean? gonna say it's terrible for you is like a prerequisite for the food to be a Midwest food. Otherwise, it's not a Midwest food. Yeah, and I always stop at the Mars Cheese Castle when I go through Wisconsin. That place is like uh, that's something special. You know what I mean? I've never even heard of it, dude. It's south of Milwaukee, probably about thirty minutes, and it has every type of cheese you would ever want. It's like a gas station, like a truck stop style situation. Okay. It's like Bucky's of Wisconsin. It's like every style of cheese curd you could ever imagine. Oh, I like, love cheese curds. Yeah, I know, right? Something special. All right. Noted for next time I drive from Milwaukee to Chicago or the other way around. I usually go Madison to Chicago. That's why I miss those. I never like go along the Michigan, Lake Michigan right there. But Just look it up and make sure that you, you hit it one time. I promise it'll be worth it for you. All right. I'm sure everybody else knows about it. Who, what's this cat? I love cats. Can I see your cat? Uh, yeah, she's, she's running around. She may cry a bunch during this thing. Cause it's, that's that okay. Yeah. Did, a, did an unknown hand just hand you that cat too? That yeah, was amazing. That's, yeah. That's my girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a TV show, you know, where like the person's right. in the middle and the hand just, right, goes just hand the prop in real quick. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Get it right back out. Okay. I see stars. That's when you started touring. Yeah. So it's actually in a band before that. And, uh, I had done some touring with them. We were signed to victory records and I learned a lot from, uh, that mistake as one does. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, uh, one of the reasons why, when I started working with IC stars is I did was because I was really keen on trying to make sure that bands 
didn't follow the same dumb footsteps that I fall, followed, you know, in your mean? band. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just signing with Victory, we had other, you know, opportunities. Uh, I had talked with Ash from Sumerian and a couple of other labels at the time. This was for your band. Your band was in Victory Records? Yes. What was the name of your band? Uh, we were called Red Eye Flight. Oh, I know of your band. Yeah, uh, I, I was on Victory Street Team, so like I, oh, know, nice. I know the posters, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun little time. And basically from the time that we recorded to the time our album came out, everybody in the office had changed over. It was like the massive turnover rate. And so nobody that was there when we got signed uh, was working there when that album came out. And it seemed like we were uh, yesterday's news because no one was making any money off of it. So that was yeah. uh, a very short-lived situation. And three bands later and some small tours, we did a tour with like a mirror and... Uh, uh, on broken wings a couple of other like metal bands we toured with uh, after the burial and oh nice stuff like that and then um for the fallen dreams several times because they're also from michigan i kind of you know i was a promoter as well at a venue so that's how i met the icy stars guys and we came okay. from all of them um well i was gonna say like one thing you said that i want to know more about is like how when i went on tour with these people i wanted to make sure they didn't make the same stupid mistakes i made which obviously Victory Records, one of them, but there's everybody made that mistake. And sometimes it wasn't a mistake, just sucked. But right. uh, what what are the other mistakes you made that you that you tell people? Um, you know, we just um, we weren't ready. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we were kind of naive. You know, we were of the MySpace era. So mm-hmm. we thought that, you know, count of songs on MySpace mattered and things like that, which I, I do think is, you know, streaming is now such a relevant thing. But at the time, like, you know, that wasn't really how analytics were going for uh, labels. They were still trying to press CDs and do all those types of things. And, you know, uh, we had been told that we should change our band name, which is something that I was kind of keen on doing as well. But the rest of the band thought like, we have too many fans, we shouldn't do that. And then little did we know that like, we didn't really have that many fans. It's It's very relative, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you, you think you're bigger than you are, um, in the situation. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, knowing a lot more about marketing and stuff like that, it was just uh, probably a decision we should have made because I think that we would have gotten a lot farther uh, along the way with just something as simple as that. You know what I mean? I know it sounds crazy, but there were some other, you know, things where like I spent a lot of my savings on trying to make a dream happen that probably wasn't that real. I just wanted to convince myself it was. And, you know, making that like i said we had gone through three bands we had a couple of engines blow up and you know just trying band costs yeah of course and trying to keep things going when like financially it didn't make sense probably was a a massive error that i tried to avoid for other people moving forward i had a good prowess of like you know being a promoter knowing how to settle shows how backend worked really well you know merchandise ideas things of that nature So I just wanted to start implementing those ideas to people. And uh, I was also a sound engineer. And so, you know, being able to double duty means that it's one less guy in the van and it was easier to bring me out because I could be multifaceted, you know? Yeah. And that's how you were like, all right, what's up, I see stars. I could do all these things that aren't involved in playing the music. Take me out on tour. And then you went out with them. But, you know, it's weird because like I've run into intermittently over the, I've known you for a long time. And this is the story with most crew people. You run into them like intermittently. And if I could pick out, I have like points that stick out to me in head about people that I know. And for you, it's smoking a blunt behind front of house, dancing to Lil Uzi Vert. Yeah. Uh, and then doing the same activity, but with ASAP mob. Yeah. And then... <laughs> that's really the... And then I think I saw you at Wireless Fest one time. I don't know where you've yeah. been. Definitely. We saw each other overseas. I do recall running into you overseas and being like, how in the hell are you here right now? Uh, Small world sort of situation, but like always great to run into you in those types of times. And like, uh, yeah, I I mean, I worked for work for bands to start. I worked for like our last night and uh, Alexandria and all those types of bands Um, Worked for breathe Carolina for a little bit. And then my transition kind of happened with T mills um, or Travis mills. I I remember Travis. Yeah, I worked with Travis, um, which was kind of warp Tour, also kind of hip-hop, you know? Um, also kind of MySpace at the time, I think. Yeah, almost very Still MySpace. somehow. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that kind of transitioned me more into pop and hip-hop bands yeah. or acts because 
I've always been really good with auto-tune, which is something that IC Stars used, something that Asking Alexandria used. All of the Warped Tour bands that I did, Breathe Carolina, they all had that very auto-tune-y type of uh, vocal at the beginning, you know? What's it mean to be good with auto-tune? Um, I gotta tell me, do you like control it? Yeah, yes. So uh, I would program all of this stuff. Um, I would make rigs for them so it was easy to, you know, carry outboard gear. And before a time where everything was digital, you know, a lot of us were just um, carrying around like a little uh, rack mounted auto tune and I would put a compressor in there. So it was nice and compressed and sounded the way it was supposed to Oh wow! set up MIDI so that they would just be able to change songs real easily and, you know, things like that. And I learned a lot about playback and all those types of situations. I really just try and, you know, every time as things, you know, progress, I tried to learn more so that I was more of a attribute to whoever I was working with. Yeah. You're like, and we had this guest on two weeks ago who his name was Kenny, but he talked about being a stagehand and how you, you when you start out in any part, you want to be very general in it. You do everything so you can get any job. And then yeah. when you find something you really like, you specialize in and kind of move forward in that area. And that kind of reminds me of what you're doing, where it's like, all right, I'm just going to learn all these things and specialize in things. And, th and then eventually when you were going out with Lil Uzi Vert, ASAP Mob and filming out who and anybody who else did you work in during like 2016 to now? Uh, Ty Sign. I worked for Joey Badass. Um, okay. A lot of rap. Yeah. Yeah. Directly for ASAP Rocky. I also did like Sabrina Carpenter, uh, which is a pop act. I did Kalani oh, cool. for a while. Um, I've worked for Summer Walker. Uh, I, I mean, the there's a long laundry list of people that I've actually worked with. What were you doing for these people? mostly tour manager or production manager and sound, you know, it's, it's just one less personality that people have to deal with on the road. Um, less, you know, one less hotel room to pay for all of the time. Like, Oh, cause you were doing more than one job is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like having several crew members in one, which was something that kept me going for a while. In my more recent years, I've tried to stick mainly to one job just because, you know, I had somebody a long time ago tell me like, do you think the reason why you only get hired for double duty is because you're not good enough to just do one? And that really like stuck with me for a while. Did that yeah. hurt? That would fucking yeah. hit me deep, dude. Yeah. What really that duty in mind? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I literally was like, man, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe oh, shit. I should be thinking a little differently on <laughs> yeah. this. So, um, you know, I definitely in my more later years, unless it's a younger act and I have a lot of confidence in like where I think their growth is going to be, then, you know, I mainly try and stick to one thing. So like right now I work with ASAP Ferg. I'm only his tour manager. Um, okay. When I worked with Jaws, I was just his production manager, you know, and well, I also do a lot of creative now as well, um, okay. like stage design and uh, animations and things of that nature. Again, just kind of as things have progressed, I wanted to make sure that I have the tools and sometimes people don't meet deadlines. And so you got to do what you got to do to make sure that things are working and hell, I like making money. So, you know, yeah. Hey, I'll do that also. Let's go. Right. Find the craft and make sure that you're somewhat decent at it so that you can continue to get yourself paid when you need to, you know? Okay. I wanted to, before we get into like what we talked about this episode kind of being about, I do have other things I want to talk about. And the thing that really interests me is I've toured with one rapper before, but he wasn't a rapper like ASAP Mob or something like that. Like I, it was just more like, he was honestly more like a warp Tour band than that. What's the difference because you've seen both worlds? What's the difference touring with rappers, especially when they're in their kind of like local band phase? Like, what are they like? And what's the vibe on tour? Are you in a bus? Are you guys just taking SUVs? What What is it like? You pray that you're in a bus. Uh, when I started with, <laughs> uh, with Uzi, we were literally doing, you know, fly dates and we would do sprinter vans everywhere. So like we would do, you That's know, four or five shows and we would sprinter van everywhere. and To hotels? Yeah, definitely. And you'd be sharing hotel rooms with people, you know, if artists are a little bit bigger, you have the, uh, you get to be able to have your own hotel room, which is a little bit of peace of mind, definitely. But I think that like the difference between work tour bands or bands in general and working for, you know, solo artists is that, you know, with a band, you have every band member is your boss and then their manager and their label and all that kind of stuff. Where as an artist, you know, if it's a solo artist, you're really only dealing with one person and then everybody else is just hired help like you. And the chain of command is a lot different. You know what I mean? Because I don't 
tell me. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> uh, as a tour manager or yeah. as a production manager in that situation, you're kind of much higher up in the hierarchy of how things are working. You know what I mean? Okay. So it helps the situation for what it's worth, like trying to, um, again, just have peace of mind when you're out on the road for eight or 10 months out of the year, it, you know, can be taxing on you and stuff like that. So having people that, you know, listen to what you do, work hard and, you know, do their jobs is a lot easier than fighting with some of the people that, you know, when there's five members in a band, four of them may love you. And one of them may be pissed at you about something. And then it's like, you're, you're playing a, you're walking a very you know thin line in that situation of what you're able to say or not overstepping yourself where it's like, yeah, it's usually artist, then me, then everybody else kind of is, you know, again, hired on so your a party kind of vibe. Yes. That makes sense. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Cause the thing that sticks out of my mind is one time when I saw you, we were, you were at Kane's ballroom in Tulsa with ASAP mob. And for those who don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, I, I didn't like Wikipedia. This ASAP mob is like a collection of different artists, some of yeah. them bigger than others. I think the most prominent one would be ASAP Rocky. Yeah. Uh, but there's other artists who, you know, probably couldn't even sell at their own venue on in that within that group. Right. They kind of all different sizes. Or is that wrong? Yeah. So ASAP uh, is like a, a conglomerate of different yeah. artists. I should so just let you tell me. I don't know why no, I just no. tried. Go for no, it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, ASAP Rocky is definitely somebody that a lot of people know. Also ASAP Ferg, which is who, one of the artists that I currently work for. Um, those are both shout out Marty Baller. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, very heavy hitters in the ASAP team. And then, you know, there's just other artists that, you know, both Rocky and Ferg have a lot of confidence and seeing them succeed. And, you know, they, they come from, um, a small area in New York where they all kind of grew up together. So, okay, you know, cool. It's them trying to make sure that, you know, their brothers eat. And I think that that's a, a very noble act for them. And some of them are really good, but, you know, it, it's not really up to the artists always to decide who else gets big. It really has to do with what the fans decide. You know what I mean? And yeah. Rocky's got something about him. Ferg writes fucking smash hits and is just an absolutely amazing human being. So I think that those things are one kind of my of favorite live artists. Yeah, dude, just they kill it, man. You know, and so I've been blessed to be able to work with both of them, um, you know, I, I like it. You know what I mean? They're, they're really good people. Um, I wanted to say before you, I, I, I wanted to say that that show, I came to it. A data member was playing around the corner. We walked over Josh and I, again, you were at front of house doing your thing. And I was like, okay, there's like six rappers on stage. They're playing Kane's ballroom, which is a big venue, but it's not like an arena, right? It's still like, I, I don't know, 2,500 cap, maybe something yeah, like 3, that. 3,200, I think. 3,200. 3, wow. That's oddly specific. I'm pretty sure you're probably more right than I am. Yeah, and, I know. <laughs> <all the truth. laughs> but it's, how are there sick? And if, I think ASAP Rocky was there. I was like, how are all these people at this venue? Like, what is their tour back end? Are they just flying in, playing whatever show they want? Are they actually, they're actually, everybody's in a bus. Yeah. Buses, man. We were on three buses on that tour. So there was a party bus, um, which oh was God. Rocky. Uh, Ferg only did like, I believe eight or 10 shows out of the 20 something that we did. So Ferg would fly in and out, but a party was basically Rocky and all the other artists, tour managers. Then there was a B party bus that was uh, most of the crew. And then there was a C party bus as well, which was a bandwagon. And that had some, like, uh, it had our merch person okay, um, and a couple of other, you know, people that were coming and going from the tour as C's fit, you know? Wow. Okay. So it's a kind of a different setup. Much different. That's cool though. And it was cool seeing it though. I was like, all right, where did these people come from in Tulsa, Oklahoma? This is like a pretty stacked bill for, I mean, it's weird. Like I'm sure you're sure. I'm sure you're aware of this, but there's certain rappers who can like headline Coachella and they couldn't play anything bigger than a house of blues. And it's so weird seeing that part of the world, that part yeah. of the music industry. So it was, I really appreciate you letting me come to that show. It was cool to see. Yeah, dude, it was, uh, I mean, that was a real fun tour. Um, it was kind of stacked differently too. It wasn't like artist after artist performing so much. It was like the whole group performing and then people would go off and like one artist would do like four or five songs and then other people would come back in, you know what I mean? Like, uh, kind of, uh, three hours of just straight them, you know, playing off and on like, and it was much different than your normal, like opening act, you know, support acts, direct support headliners type of situation. It was just kind of like a free for all. So that was a lot of 
knowing when mics were turning off and on and stuff of that nature, you know? Oh my God. Was it like that off the stage too? I feel like in, in my head, band world as chaotic as it is, is pretty organized and is surrounded with, it's organized because the crew for the most part on the bigger tours has been doing it for longer than the artists have. And they got their shit together for you guys or for the artists I've been to that are more in the hip hop rap and sometimes even smaller pop worlds. It's a little bit more of a free for all. Was it like that on there? Or is my impression of it just wrong? Like, I no, almost... definitely, definitely like that on there. So there what's that like? Can you talk more about that? I just want to know, like, what's uh, a free for all tour? So somebody who like maybe is touring in hip hop, I haven't talked about it at all on here. Uh, it was, uh, there was a lot of audibles that got called. I mean, we never had <laughs> the same set list every night with something changed. And yeah. it was, you know, knowing who's, again, it was kind of like just being as attentive as you could to the situation. And even then we would get set lists probably an hour before the doors and those would go off script all of the time. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. like, I had to know songs immediately so that I could change tune um, know whose mics had tune and whose didn't and all of those types of scenarios oh that were happening. Um, it was a little bit of chaos, but I mean, to be fair, there's been a lot of chaos that I've dealt with in my day and I just kind of, uh, try to be as good as I can and, you know, like learn how to predict what things are going to happen so that it doesn't come as such a shock when it does, you know? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like hip hop DJs and those worlds where it's more like one artist or the team's a little bit smaller. They're kind of a little more free flowing than bands. They kind of like are like, we're going to do this today. We're going to do that tomorrow. And the bands are like, here's the day sheet. Here's what we're doing. We're on tour. And it's like more of a thing. And okay, definitely yeah. with if there's five or six bands on a tour, though, it's like you got to know whose drum sets coming up when. And yeah, like that's who's true. Sharing, who's sharing guitar like cabs and stuff like that. I mean, I think that it's funny because a lot of the guys in the hip hop world um, that I know also came from the warp tour world. And that was just because we all, you know, had the, had to know, like, sometimes you're playing at 10 o'clock on warp tour. And then the following morning, you may be playing at 11 AM. And, and like, there was never really a set schedule. You were on different stages. You were lugging your stuff across fields, you know, uh, in 105, 110 degree weather and just trying to make it work, you know, as best as you could. And so you just had to be as on your toes as you could. And then, going into the other side of it because it's so lax it's a lot easier to kind of perform because the the pressures are different you know what i mean yeah okay that makes sense damn yeah i feel like warp tour is one of those things where it's like oh i can do this i've done warp tour this is fine We're good. yeah right i did merch on warp tour all right like whatever you want me to do i could do i didn't yeah. do it but people have I know, but it makes or breaks you, man. You know what I mean? Like the, those style tours and like even the you know some of the smaller tours that i did during that time like six bands would be on the tour and then they would also put a local support act on and you're just sitting there trying to figure out like in a 700 cap room where you're going to fit, you know, pizza, five or set. <laughs> yeah, lots of pizza, lots of, uh, ramen noodles those nights. You know what I mean? Pizza, peanut butter and jelly. Oh man. Yeah. I got real used to eating, uh, uh bags of, I used to buy the barbecue twist Fritos because they had a lot of calories and they filled me up and it was only 99 cents at the time. So I was like, well, I guess this is, this is my dinner for tonight. You know what I mean? Keep it pushing. Dude, I relate to that. Whenever I go to a restaurant, even nowadays, I'm like, what has the most calories? Because it's a lot of food, not because it's fried, but because it has sustenance in it. Yeah. And that's how I buy it. Yeah, definitely. I think I've, I've been trying to eat a little bit healthier since I've gotten older, you know, the, you just don't take the same way as you did when you were in your twenties. So I, yeah. I kind of watch a little bit more what I, what I eat, what I drink, stuff like that. But you know, for the most part, there's also nights where you don't eat for 10 or 12 hours because the show's running long, things are going wrong and you just kind of have to figure it out. And then you're putting whatever you can in you to just keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. Just fuel at that point. Oh man. All right. So like you've worked for a lot of artists. Are you getting fired? Are you just bouncing around? What's going on? Like, it's, it's pretty cool. Like how, you're so good at starting new gigs. I respect it. Um, I have been fired a couple of times. I can't <laughs> lie and say that I haven't, but it's always under different circumstances. Yeah. You know, a lot of times management changes, uh, if management changes, they more or less will clear house. Yeah. It's not your fault. Always stuff just yeah, yeah. ends. That's just how a relationship ends sometimes. It's definitely been my fault as well. Um, but no, I've also, you know, I've quit some jobs and I've also, there's album cycles, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And when people stop touring, I still got to work, you know what I mean? So another artist hires me on and they've got the next eight, 10 months kind of 
you know, busy, yeah, that's priority. You know, I, I got to put food on the table. I got to pay my bills. I got to make sure that, um, you know, I'm continuing to build my empire, quote unquote. And, um, you know, so if an artist is going into the studio for four or five, six months, it's, there's no work for me there. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times it's, it's a no harsh feelings sort of thing. Still have a lot of great relationships with some of my former employers. Um, yeah. but they are, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you, you got to keep working, man. It's the, it's, I, I heard a saying a long time ago in the industry where it's like, uh, you know, artists come and go, but crew always stay around. And it's kind of the name of the game is like, you just make yourself as available as you can for the artists that are out there that are looking for it. And as long as they can pay my wage, then I'm more than happy to help them. You know, what's it, what's it look like for you to, for somebody who's been in the industry working for artists. And the thing I like about you is that you do find your way into new groups. And I always see you posting about looking for a new crew. How do you make sure that people know you're available? Like, how are you getting more jobs? And uh, maybe speak to like the past six years. I'm not talking about like earlier on. That makes sense. A lot of it is word of mouth. Yeah. Honestly, you know, uh, we in the crew world kind of have like a good conglomerate of people that kind of reach out to each other. Uh, I try and do favors for people or, you know, give people gigs so that I know that if they are too busy and they've got, they hear of a gig that, you know, I'm one of the first people on their mind. I think that paying it forward is a big part of yeah. keep going uh, in the industry, you know, and my resume has been passed around. Even when I don't send it to people, that's always nice. You know what I mean? I've gotten calls from people that are like, so-and-so reference shoes, things of that nature. And you know, it's like a, a cold call and that's always a good feeling. Cause it just, you know, it means that I'm doing my job right. And that people are speaking highly of me even when I'm not around. So that makes a, a lot of, uh, that makes me happy, you know? Dude. Yeah. That's a good feeling. It's good to know when someone's like, Hey, I heard about you from this person. And you're like, really? They, that's, yeah. that's cool. They, yes, that definitely. is really cool. Definitely. Yeah. Some good. good friends out there that have taken care of me. So, and I, and I try and do the same for them. You know, I, there's, some young guns out there that I see very promising and I, you know, try and put them in opportunities to um, continue to excel in their careers. And so that they know that I'm looking out for them, they'll hopefully look out for me in the long run. And if not, I'm not doing it only for that reason. It's also because it's just the upside. Yeah. I need guys and I want to take care of people that are doing a good job. You know, that means that my, that my word carries weight and that's super important. What's uh when you're looking for these young guns or these people who haven't been on the road, you know, it hits close to home. Obviously you took Connor out on his first tour. Thank you. But outside of Connor, or you can speak to Connor specifically. What do you look for in these new crew members? Cause correct me if I'm wrong. You had somebody else on that tour with you. That was also first time on the road, right? Yeah. So, um, both of them actually came from references. Uh, one worked out a little bit better than the other. Connor was absolutely amazing. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> Hope it's Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No. Um, there's a couple of things you look for. I mean, honestly, it it's like specific to what um, they're doing as a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. But references are a huge thing. You know, it's like I called you and you kind of gave me the a green light mm -hmm. with Connor. I go a lot off a of gut feeling too, you know, having a phone call with somebody, but I always check their references on their uh, resume. It doesn't necessarily bother me that somebody is so inexperienced as long as they're willing to learn. I think that that's a huge yeah. part of like making somebody grow and personality, man, personality is like 90% of what keeps you in jobs and on the road. It's like, if you're able to, cause you're living with these people, you become very like close to them and if it's somebody that you clash personalities with, then it's a lot harder to do your job. You know what I mean? Like I, I know firsthand that I've also clashed with some people and that's probably why I'm not on the road with certain artists anymore. <laughs> you know, it just like doesn't mold, but I've also been very honest with some of those artists and just be like, Hey, this isn't working. You know what I mean? Let's yeah. call it a spade and keep it moving. You know? Hey, that makes sense. So for the art, for the, like you said, 90% of the time it's personality and you've get people on and we've got great success stories like Connor, but I'm sure you've crossed paths or had people come on the road. And I had Andrew Weiss on here uh, recently and he was like, you know, either people come out and they're in it for life or they figure out pretty quickly. This isn't for them yes. for the, for the latter. Let's speak to the latter. When somebody figures out it isn't for them, which is something like, I'm not, I don't want people to learn this so that they can be like, all right, the music industry isn't for me. I just want them to know what qualities they probably should not have 
to stay on the road. So what happened? Like, what did these people do or what were these people like that couldn't stay on the road or couldn't cut it? Missing time, like deadlines is a, a big thing. Not showing up to work a hundred percent or just not giving it your all, you know, uh, has a lot to do with it. I mean, right before COVID we were on a tour. Oh, I love stories more. Any story that come up, come through you and come out like, dude, I'm all ears. I'll sit here for another hour and just listen. I had a, I had a guy that, uh, just really dragged ass every single day. And, you know, we had a lot of work to do. It was an EDM tour. We were building a lot of things and like he, you know, massive truck pack trying to get everything in every single day. And like, he just really gave it less than 50%. And it got to a point where I was like, like, what's it look like to give it less than 50%? Like, what does that mean? Standing there with your arms crossed uh, when other when everyone else is working, not finishing your job in a timely manner, you know, having to push doors back because one part of production isn't done. That is. Oh, wow. Kind of, That's a big deal. That's money. You have. Yes. Local hands. There's shows where we had, you know, 20, 25 local hands on and they're on for four hours before they start going into overages. And like, if you got to keep an extra 15 on rather than an extra four or eight on that you initially planned, it's like, that's just money out of the artist's pocket. And at the end of the day, when, when budgets come at the end of tour, people are going to ask questions as to why you spent over what you initially thought. And if it's somebody's fault in particular, then that's uh, Joe Schmo over here sitting there like this. Yeah. (laughs) Smoking bake, doing, you know what I mean? Uh, Off in his own little world, uh, not helping with truck packs, things of that nature. And just being negative attitude. Like we also had another guy actually on the mob tour. Um, yeah, there was a lighting guy and then, uh, we had some shows with Rocky right afterwards and he missed one of his flights for, uh, God. Yeah. And it was just like, and then we were going to, to Europe right after New York. And he was like, Oh, well, you know, where's my new, where's my, uh, Europe stuff. And I was like, there is no Europe stuff, man. Like you literally missed a massive show. There was a New York show for, for Rocky. And there was, yeah, you're out (laughs) 7,000 people there. And we don't have our LD, like you're replaced pretty quickly when that happens. You know what I mean? Like I'm always willing to forgive certain situations, but just finding out that you missed a flight because you were errant on it and not because the flight canceled or something like that. It was your fault. Not that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a big, uh, fuck up there, you know, like you can't let that kind of stuff happen. And it would be my job if I kept somebody like that on and didn't do the right thing of just like replacing them with somebody that actually wants to be there. Yeah. Then you'd be at fault because you were like, okay, this thing happened. It made it apparent that this person wasn't doing the thing. Now what happens when they miss their flight in Europe? Now it's like, all right, now it's my fault because I saw Yeah. I get what you're saying. So you did the responsible thing. Yes. I, I try to make a decision and I usually stick to that decision through hell or high water. If it's, if it seems like that's the move that needs to be made, then it's like, we just can't allow those types of mistakes to happen again. I'm, I'm willing to understand some things, but you know, like what, what would you understand? Like what's like an okay mistake to make on the road? You know what I mean? I've had a guy take a nap too long and almost miss uh set, like set start stuff. He was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I kind of understand that you're still on site, you know what I mean? Things of that nature. I can wake you up pretty quickly. We can get you going. I've slept through a set. I've done that. Yeah. In Europe. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's happened to the best of us. I think the worst Um, part was nobody noticed. I was like, all right, this is bad. I'm a photographer for me. So it doesn't matter. What were you doing? I'm doing sound and I I don't show up to the board when the, when it starts. I think that's a a big, Oh yeah. You're in trouble. uh, yeah, I don't know if that's uh, something that doesn't get me replaced in that situation. Um, but yeah, the, you know, there's other little things where like, if you don't know any better too, like <clears throat> bringing friends into areas that they shouldn't be in, stuff like that, you know, like a lot of times there's an artist room and then there's a crew room and you don't want to bring, you know, people that don't know how to be backstage into the artist area or like walking around you know, I've even caught people, you know, obviously I used to smoke on the job all the time, but like people being a little too intoxicated before sets. Yeah. That's a one time, like, Hey, I tell you, you know, you got to tighten up or next time it's just going to be a different story. You know, you're out there to have fun too. So like I, I look the other way on some situations, but then again, there's times where like massive fuck-ups happen, um, you know, throwing a switch on a distro, like electric and, it's supposed to be 208 and it's at 110 and you blow 20 fixtures. That's a, you know, that's oh, a $10,000 fuck up. And I, I, I got to tell you that that's pretty much all right. Well, 
next guy that can come in as soon as he can is, is going to replace you. And it's, it's no hard feelings, but hopefully you learn from the mistake of like, this is serious enough to where you shouldn't do it again. And maybe you should be more mindful moving forward. Yeah. No, that makes some sense. Sometimes I think too, when people make mistakes, I usually take into consideration and I'm not saying this, like I'm not a tour manager. I'm just thinking how I would think when I work with people, like I work with Connor on this a lot or people who are working under me and I'm like, all right, they made a mistake, but the other 99% of the time they're fucking crushing it. And that means so much because like your dude who's crossing his arms, you make a mistake and he's crossing his arms. Like, all right, dude, you're not doing anything though. Now you got to go. Right. Definitely. I mean, we all, we're all human, man. So we yeah. make mistakes out mistakes on the road. Are, yeah, exactly. Nobody's perfect. And I, I fully understand that, you know, and I, I think it's also how people take it too. You know, if people dwell on something that they did wrong and it starts to like, take it too deep. Their, yeah. The next couple of days, like that can really be a detriment to the show. And, you know, sometimes you, that's a stark reminder of who's really built for it and not, you know, it's like, you got to kind of have some tough skin when you're out on the road because it's nothing personal. It's just at the time, like, I'm going to tell you what you did wrong and say not to do it again. You know what I mean? Like if you keep making the same mistakes, that's where the problems really happen. But if you're new and you're, you didn't know any better, well, you know, let's, let's talk to you about it and let's make sure you don't make that same mistake moving forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And something you touched on really briefly, but I want to talk about, because I don't know if I've had anybody else on here who would talk about it openly, but I think you will smoking and drinking on the job just because we talked about casually about smoking with you but my opinion like i used to smoke uh, sometimes when i would shoot and it was different for me i'm a photographer like i'm shooting an artistic role nobody else's job really relies on me but i was on a tour once where a a guitar tech was smoking too much i would say and to me my thought process was like when they do make a mistake now it's not just their fault it's their fault because they also made the choice earlier to be inebriated in some way. I, I don't know. It like makes it worse sometimes. I feel like what's your opinion on it? I mean, I, I used to have it on my writer that I would be smoking at front of house and for security. <laughs> no, you um, did not. No, you did no, not. I, swear, I, I honestly did. Um, but like you, you know, have a writer. Oh, for like the uh, venue. You no, mean? it was in the artist. Writer. I get what you're saying. I was just yeah, saying just it. look the other way when the, when the front of house guy is smoking weed. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it really depends on the job. I think that like if you're obviously I would never want like a rigger or, you know, somebody that's dealing with very heavy equipment or, you know, dealing with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely at that point, absolutely no drinking, no smoking in those situations. If you're a lighting person, that is an artistic situation. So I understand, you know, maybe smoking a joint before you go in and do lights because you're going to feel the music in the vibe. They're just vibing, dude. Definitely. Um, I can't say that for insurance purposes um, when it comes to artists, but for the most part, you know, it's one of those things where like it varies from person to person. If you, you know, I used to smoke weed all day, so I was a functional pothead at that time, you know, and I never changed my attitude because I was always high, you know what I mean? So it wasn't kind of like I didn't consider myself technically inebriated in those situations. It, it was how you were constantly. This was yeah, your baseline. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. This is me. All that. I felt high when I, or I felt messed up when I was sober. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I do think that it kind of comes person to person. Um, you know, again, same thing with photographers, they're doing an artistic thing. So I kind yeah. of see the element a little bit more, even, um, you know, sound engineers. It's like, you're mixing the show you want to, I used to always be like, Oh, well, you know, everybody else around me is probably fucked up. So I should have a little something in me to, to know what they're feeling like when I'm mixing the show. Now, as I'm older and I don't smoke anymore, it's more so a a matter of like, well, well done by the way. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, That's awesome. Trying to, you know, just be level headed for the show and making sure that there is again, no other reason why somebody could, say like, well, he was also high on the job yeah. or something like that, you know, um, I think that that is kind of important. And as I've taken on bigger roles, you just kind of have a lot more responsibility. Artists, you know, are doing a lot more production and there's a lot of things moving, you know, on the Jaws tour, uh, we had a, a moving double-sided LED fin. What's a fin? Oh, okay. It was, like it was video wall. And, um, you know, there was rooms where the, stage was not level and we were trying to, you know, do all these things. And I'm, you know, I'm just sitting there going like the amount of 
issues that could run into, you know, if something went wrong and I was also high on the job, like that just would not be acceptable. If this ever went to a court situation or anything like that, yeah. it could be so bad for us. So rather than having something like that, it's liability. Happen, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that like, if I'm, you know, if this is under my wing that I got to be responsible and there's no real reason for anybody to say any otherwise, you know, on a day off or, you know, after the show, that's a completely different story. You're allowed to kind of do whatever you want, but during the time of, you know, the show load in all those things, we had a hydraulic lift on there that weighed, uh, 1800 pounds, you know, like it's more than you and I combined. Yes, of course. Uh, the video <laughs> wall was in total with the front and back wall was 2,600 pounds. So it's like oh a ton God. of something falling over could just be detrimental. And I can't even begin to think that like, being under the influence of anything would make me feel comfortable about, you know, if something was to go wrong, obviously yeah. nothing did. And the tour went off without a hitch and everything. But that's, but, that's a product of this decision. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen it on the road. Like when somebody first goes on tour or even people who've toured for a while, we've both toured. I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure with functioning alcoholics word thing to experience, but it happens on the road. With that being said, there's also people who come out and, it's their first tour or they're early, newer to touring. And usually the limiting factor for people with alcohol or substances is, is a money issue, right? They're like, okay, I'm not going to go spend all my money on this or an availability issue, availability issue on tour. However, that restriction is removed and everything is just free and available right. to you. I was hoping we could speak some to like, especially since you've had such a wide variety of experiences. I think you've seen probably a lot more than I have. Um, have you seen somebody come on tour and just do too much of the alcohol? Do you know what I mean? Yes, definitely. And it's not just been alcohol. I mean, I've seen people with other substances as well that they just take too much of it. And then it's kind of a bad, you know, you can just tell that they're not a hundred percent with it. You know, um, mm -hmm. again, it's like you're out on the road and it's a fun and exciting experience, you know, um, exhilarating. But it really is. And I think that also people have a lot of anxiety. And so a vice to anxiety sometimes is co a coping mechanism is using some sort of, you know, drugs or alcohol. Right. Yeah. Um, but you have to know your limits, you know, um, and you have to know when it's appropriate to do those things. Um, I have definitely seen people, I mean, uh, going back to icy stars, there was times where I'd get, you know, fucked up after a show. And then the next day I'd be so hung over mm -hmm. that, it would, I wouldn't be able to work at a hundred percent for the first couple of hours. You know what I mean? I'm still puking in at two, three o'clock in the afternoon, trying to get alcohol for me from the night before those things affect you, you know, yeah. and, and it's a learning experience. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if it happens once, you know, we, we talk about it and we try and, and move past it. But if it seems like it's something that becomes an every single day, uh, and it's affecting your job performance, then, you know, there's only so many chances you can give somebody before you got to say like, you need to take a step back and work on some of the personal issues you may be having before it would be acceptable for you to go out there and work for a bigger artist. Cause you know, everybody wants to work for, you know, artists and arenas and do these massive tours and everything like that, but they don't realize how many people are involved and what those jobs really entail. It's a lot more strenuous than you would believe. Very specialized all yeah. day too. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, like I said, there's definitely been days where I've done 20 hours a day. I sleep for four and I'm up, you know, chalking the next morning for Hanks and, and yep. those type of scenarios, you just can't be fucked up, man. Because if everything falls behind or if your job is the one that's suffering, whether it's a lighting guy or, you know, some sort of tech, eventually it's going to make something go wrong in a show. And that's when it becomes a big problem. You know, it's, I guess it's like you get away with it until something massive goes wrong. And then it's like, well, you look back at all the other times that they've had little mistakes along the way. And you're like, this is probably a bigger issue and needs to be addressed. Okay. Yeah. Just cause it's free guys doesn't mean you got to do it. I don't know. I just always thought that was an interesting part. And I've seen people come out for the, you know, when people come for a day, like family and friends, they often, you know, it's their concert night. You can see what it's like to have access to free alcohol for some people. But when you're on the road, you don't, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it seem, I think it goes without saying, but you know, I, I just want to say, I'm happy we re reiterated it because I've seen too many nightwear situations. Yeah. I mean, it's still a job, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, would you show up to your nine to five drunk? No, you wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> 
in theory. It's one thing, yeah, amen, <laughs> in theory. Right? It's one thing to go have a drink at lunch uh, and like continue the rest of your day. It's another thing to have four drinks at lunch and then slosh yourself around through the last five hours. You know what I mean? And I, I think that goes to, to the same at your, you know, to the same aspects of tour. We had a guy show up buck naked one morning in New Orleans because somebody stole all of his clothes and his money. And he was blackout drunk. Then I'm just, just going back in my mind about, I don't really drink much. And I was going back in my mind about like, oh my, when, and these are like grown men getting blackout drunk and just everything's gone. Dude, I've been roofied on tour before. So, you know, oh, wow. Uh, you got a good yeah. night's sleep or what, what happened? I don't remember much of what happened. That's I just, scary. Yeah. Three days into working for a new artist and, uh, you know, made quite a fool of myself on the, uh, when I got back to the bus, luckily I got back to the bus. But again, that was one of those scenarios where like I had one drink and was beyond fucked up from the situation. And, uh, you know, it's like embarrassing to have to do a rest of a tour with somebody when you got roofied three days in and you're like, well, that's not how I normally act. And then you're obviously on your P's and Q's right afterwards. Right. You want to make yeah. sure that you're like as prim and proper as you can in those situations. But it it affected me and it took me a couple of days to feel a hundred percent. And I, you know, I think that luckily I had an artist that was very understanding and what the situation happened, but man, that, you know, that kind of stuff goes down and, you, you know, you go out and you party and you do all types of fun stuff out there and you can run into situations like that or even worse. I mean, there's things cut with all types of weird shit nowadays and people are taking, you know, pills and doing all those things. And, you know, I, I've also seen guys land in the hospital from that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, yeah, you with hip hop, man, I can't imagine how it, I feel like that world. And I hope I'm not just making assumptions. Like I, I, uh, I it uh, happens on all sides. I mean, to be fair, man, when there's a particular artist that I worked for in the work tour world that was heavy into, you know, uh, all types of drugs and, yeah. uh, it was very sad to see somebody like that kind of go through it because again, it's like if the artist is getting that fucked up, how is he going to notice that anybody else is getting that fucked up? Not only that, but he's trying to get the rest of the the crew to do similar stuff. And it's like, you know, that plays a toll on the yeah, situation. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's a party drug, right? People want to do parties when that happens. They want to be surrounded by other people doing the same stuff. And, but then, you know, it, it's, it's not, a viable situation for long-term, you know, yeah. like it, that makes sense. The, the artist kind of falls apart and the crew will fall, fall apart in the same aspect. You know, you're reminding me, like, I don't know how often I just shoot the shit with the guests. Cause it's kind of fun. Like, and for people who haven't toured, but like when you see people you haven't seen in a while, you'll reminisce about stories or just go through them. And I try to yeah. bring in like the appropriate ones that are name often nameless um, right. but like, like when you're with people all the time, you do see people do embarrassing things or things they probably wouldn't talk about. But I was going to say, like, I remember a warp tour morning and maybe we we're talking about the same artists and that will be, remain unbeknownst to the public. But I remember I was waking up really early on warp tour to go fly my drone on like 2013. And I was sleeping on an artist bus that I wasn't working with. And I got up and this is the first time I'd ever seen this because of my sheltered life or the way I've lived my life. But there was an artist that was still awake. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're doing math. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. And I was Great. like, what are you doing? What? Yeah. I, I didn't think people did it. Like, I thought, I mean, I know people do, but like, I didn't think productive people did it. And they had just yeah. been up all night doing drugs. And I was like, this is weird. I don't There's understand. I want to go fly my drone. I named my drone, actually. I'm going to go hang out with it and fly it. You guys do this. But weird. Yeah, there's functioning coke has there's functioning heroin addicts man i mean it's uh you don't realize that kind of stuff until it's kind of put in your face and then it's a matter of like yeah like yeah you're touring around with that kind of stuff and you're you know everybody goes to jail if you get caught so uh you know it it starts to make you think about who you're working for and and why you're really in it you know what i mean i don't want my career ruined because my artist uh yeah. decided that he did his fix yeah Thanks for letting me tell, thanks for coming on the podcast and letting me tell my story, by the way. I, I hope that's not too rude. I just like to talk. Uh, you're fun to talk to. I haven't seen you in a while. It's kind of cool. Yeah, man. I always enjoyed talking to you. You're a good dude. So this is great. <laughs> okay. So another thing I wanted to know about was obviously you've taken a lot of different jobs. You've worked with people. Some relationships have lasted longer than others. When you're going into a gig and you start working with somebody, what are the like the telltale signs of like, all right, this is going to be 
longer than one tour? Like, how do you know when it works? So when other people go on tour, they can be like, all right, this is my fit. This, these are my people. Uh, I mean, again, dude, I'm huge on gut feeling, you know, um, going with your, but that comes from experience. Not everybody had like, your first few I, tours. You just, I mean, maybe you had it, but it's based on your experience for somebody who's not like give people the experiences that made up your gut. If that makes sense. Uh, I think just seeing how a crowd reacts to people, you know, like uh, I had, when I started working with IEC stars, you know, they were 15, 16, 17 years old and they were an opener on the dance Gavin dance, the Skylet drive tour. And they were doing the same merch numbers as the headliner. Yeah. You know, that's a firm believer that the artist has a longer career than. So artist success is important to you too. Like, okay, I see what you're saying. Definitely. I think that's part of the gut feeling too. You know, like, when I started working with Uzi, um, I was out on tour with uh, Hoodie Allen on the Wiz Khalifa and Fall Out Boy tour. And so Uzi did like two songs on the changeover. Max did the um, did songs on the first changeover. And then on the second changeover, it was Uzi. And I remember really? watching. They had artists playing changeovers? Yeah, because the changeovers were like 30 minutes long. I mean, oh, they, that's cool. Really extensive um, stage designs, you know. So, like having that long changeover, DJ wow. Drama always does the Wiz Khalifa tours, and um, you know it, he was the reason why Uzi got brought out. And I remember talking to uh, Lake, which is one of the owners of Generation Now, uh, Uzi and Jack Harlow's label, and I was like, I had seen this kid perform maybe three or four times in a row the first couple of nights, and I went up to him and was like, I don't care what it takes, but I want to work with this kid. Like he just had. <laughs> Thing electric and i hadn't seen that in that side of the world yet that i was like there's just something about it you know I, I, same thing when i started working with black bear like black bear was on a tour the team mills tour with uh mod son and i just saw how the crowd was responding to him and was like bro i'll mix you every night like yeah. literally for for pennies on the dollar like You're just a fan I, yeah, I like music. I want to see you succeed. I'd like to be a part of this because I know long term that there's going to be some success in this. And it's, you know, it'll make my career last longer if I have an artist that I can get close uh, in a close relationship with and that I believe in. I have to believe in the music nowadays. I don't just take jobs to take jobs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like That is luckily I, I have that ability to do so for working in the in the industry as long as I have. But it's it's something where it's like. I've worked for artists that I don't believe in and it's hard to give myself, a, you know, to give 110% of myself because it's like, well, I don't know where this is going. I don't really see me staying around. So, you know, my drive isn't necessarily the same in those situations, but th- that's what it's always been, you know, like um, I just see something special and I feel it. Um, I see how, how the crowd reacts to him. I see how the music makes me feel, you know, and there's stars out there. You, you've seen them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you just see somebody go up on stage and you're like, these guys are fucking stars, you know? Yeah, you can feel it. Okay. So I see what you're saying for gut feeling. You're not talking about like the admin side of it. You're talking about like the, the essence and the spirit of it. I like that. All right. That's cool. I think the best drug in the world is a good show. You know what I mean? The high from the show and oh, being yeah. successful, like seeing a, seeing an artist just kill it. That's just something truly special. It's electric, man. And you got to be part of it too, which is sick. That's, and it makes me happy. It keeps me going, you know? Oh man, I like that. Dude, as you were telling the story, like we're wrapped, that, that's great. Okay. Because I made the assumption when you were saying going with your gut that you were talking about admin, like, okay how's their manager how's their label like how's the people on the road and that's because i'm a little more logistical you know what i mean uh but like okay that's cool i like that the magic dude how's the magic that's what i want to know about yeah that's that's the feeling i look for it there's i mean even with you know one of my current artists that boy with you i uh i got a phone call from one of my friends yeah you's amazing human being absolutely wonderful human being I got a call from my friend Adam that I actually had gotten private jets from in the past for some of my other artists. Bands? He hit me up. Uh, yeah, great dude. Got him. And he hit me up and was like, yo, I want you to listen to this artist and tell me what you think because they need a tour manager and front house guy. And I was like, okay, cool. So I listened to two songs. And by the third song, I called him right back and was like, yo, what's, what's the deal? Like, what do I do to make this happen? And I didn't even really look at numbers or anything like that too much. It was more so just 
what I felt from the music. Like I saw something there and, you know, you when we first met, he like the first phone call we had, I think he said like seven words, probably. Um, he had never done a live show. So I, I, I got to go in and like work with him directly and see him start, you know, um, cause That's he's cool. A lot of his fame comes from TikTok, and yeah. but I could also tell when we did that first show, and I watched the crowd, I was like, "Yo, this kid is absolutely special! Like, he's a superhero when that mask is on, and he transforms into something that is a superstar, in my opinion." And I know that he's young and that he hasn't fully gotten to superstardom yet, but it's I the confidence is all there for me. And not only that, but he's just a wonderful human being to work for. So Which it matters a lot it does help a lot to know that like the artist actually cares about you, wants to take care of you. Yeah. You know, we'll check up on you. Those things, you know, matter. You, you become family with a lot of these people and it's not always just business. It, it, when you spend two, three, four, five, seven months together with people, it's like, you've got to be close and you got to like them. Otherwise it's just, it seems very, it's taxing, man. That'll take a toll on your ladle. That'll start hitting you deep, man. That'll rock yeah. you. It'll change you as yeah. a being. It'll put you in a dark place. That's for sure. <laughs> Agreed. Dude, thank you so much for sharing everything. This has been great. I appreciate knowing like your insight and your little bit of method to your madness. I Something I know about you is that you're a passionate person and that passion comes out in all different types of ways. And I like hearing what fuels that passion. So it's cool to hear it from you. I mean, again, it started all from trying to be a musician and then, you know, I wanted to- Red Eye Flight? Yeah. Bring them back, baby. So if your band, maybe not failing, but if your band isn't successful, there's still a place for you in this industry, guys. And uh, Okay, last question that we always ask everybody. But you know, as I remembered, I'm going to ask you it. I forgot to do it on the past two guests. I've oh, just wow. been off my game. Shower shoes or no shower shoes? Shower shoes always, bro. <laughs> oh my God. Was Connor yes. wearing shower shoes on tour? Yeah, we made, we all got flip-flops. We went to Walmart. We bought the $8 flip-flops that you can buy. And you you've got like... You cannot walk into a venue shower and not think that you're going to get something disgusting if you don't have something on your feet for that situation. You I've never I mean? worn shower shoes in my whole life. Oh my God. How many times have you had athletes with? Never. Wow. Well played, sir. Yeah. I know people that have gotten ringworm from showers. So uh, I guess it's firsthand. I know people that have got scabies from it. Like there's some wild wow, things. You're that scaring me from. now, dude. Yeah. Just be a little more careful. You're lucky up to this point, man. I got tough souls. Yo, uh, I guess so. <laughs> you want to know what lesson I learned? Can I tell you a shower story from tour real fast? Of course. Okay. When you go to a shower on tour outside the shower stall, there's always like a chair. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? And that yeah. chair is to put your stuff on. But me, I'm like kind of like, I'm much more organized and intentional now. But for the majority of my life, I lived in like an anxious panic. And when I was on tour, I would just take my clothes off and get in the shower and throw the clothes on the floor. Like, I just don't care. I know the floor is dirty, whatever. Well, one time I did that and then the shower flooded and then oh. all my clothes were wet. And then I always use a chair from now on, but I also didn't have any other clothes. So it was a disaster. Brutal. In that Europe. And yeah, showers in Europe are, ooh, that's something else, man. Talk about a... They like a carve nightmare. a hole out of the ground and they'd say, put a spout in here. Right, exactly. This I is the shower. Thou shalt shower here. Gross showers in Europe. Shout out to Europe because I'm about to head there. But uh, luckily, their hotels are usually decent. Um, the, the water pressure is always trash. Um, Who are you touring with? What's your next tours you got coming up? Uh, so I go overseas with Ferg, um, in oh, July. You're doing venues or festivals? What are you guys doing? Festivals. We're doing uh splash fest, open air, um, splash fest. I know open air, but what's splash fest? Splash fest is in Germany. It's, uh, cool. in Liege, I believe is what it's called. Um, which is probably an hour and a half from Berlin. It's a week and a half long festival out there. All oh, types wow. of artists like, performing. It's like a festival. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, after that, I do a tour with uh, DJ Drama. I, again, that's the Wiz Khalifa and Logic tour. Oh, cool. Um, I have some fly dates with Uke, uh, with Boy With Uke and with Ferg uh, as well. And then I go out with uh, 1OK Rock in September, October time. Uh, great. US great dudes. Band. US yeah. tour. Yep. Um and, uh, and then I end the year with Uke again. So, you know, it's, it's been, a. you're I, busy. I'm glad to be busy again, man. COVID had me shook for a minute. Uh, had to 
switch how I made my money for a little while. Did a lot of uh, graphic design stuff during that time to get paid. So, Hey man, respect. If there's a way you'll figure it out. And I'm glad to hear of all the success and that you're staying so well employed, man. Well done. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. I'll see you in real life. I look forward to crossing paths with you. This is my boy. So, like I said, I have COVID right now, currently, and this is the first week in the whole podcast where I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it because I'm just like, actually, I mean, I've struggled with it a lot. Like, you know, doing something once a week for 84 weeks in a row for me is hard, and you know, it's not like it's not it's it's not an easy task. Every episode involves writing the show out, writing notes finding a guest, recording with them, and it just takes a while. So because of that, um, yeah. So because of that, well, it took a while. But this one, I was like on my ass for a few days, like really knocked out. I just slept. I got I got COVID. I, I had a photograph of a wedding last week for work. It wasn't being that irresponsible, but it's a wedding. There's a lot of people there. I had to fly. It's in New York. Got to see my good friend Tom. Vinny, congrats on getting married. It's wonderful to be there. I like photographing weddings, but man, it took me out. COVID is no joke. I think most people have gotten it. This was my first time getting it with the exception of the vaccines. And yeah, there's a lot of things that come along with it that also were difficult, like the mental aspect or the sitting in the room aspect. So I'm trying my best. I'm excited for the podcast because it's a good way for me to have some social interaction. In addition to that, the book proposal was supposed to be finished this week. The thing that I take that's like the outline of the book, which I will share with you guys when it's done because I'm excited about it. But COVID again, knocked me on my ass. So I haven't been able to finish it yet, but I will catch up this coming week. I'm excited for that. In addition, a little bit of more sad news, but something that happened that I wanted to talk about was um, about two weeks ago now, I got to go to Robert Noyes, Robert Ortiz funeral. It was at the House of Blues Anaheim in Los Angeles. And yeah, Robert was on this podcast. He was on episode number, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, 30s with Mark Hoppus. He was our first like musician and artist combo. He was a good friend of mine. I was really sad that he passed away. He passed away from what's called an aortic tear, basically, or it's called something different than that. But basically you get a tear in your valve by your heart and it just starts bleeding and you just you pass away pretty it's a little bit painful and then you're out and unfortunately that happened to him very very upsetting to the community it was nice to see some friends i hadn't seen at a while at his funeral but it was heartbreaking to see you know kids without their parents friends without their friend Um, his sponsor was there he has recovered alcoholic for eight years um, good job, man. His girlfriend without the love of her life and, you know, his parents without their kid and his work, you know, everybody that worked with him without, you know, their good friend and myself included. So I think one of the hardest parts about this industry is that you do get a oh, plus side is you get this huge network of people that you don't see very often, but you talk to once in a while, but you're pretty close with when you do see them, you know, they're closer than an acquaintance but they might not all be at your wedding. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes there's people who will be in your wedding party and you get pretty close with them. And Robert was this person to a lot of people. He was a very, very helpful person. And um, it was really nice seeing all the stories people had to tell about him. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel with the introduction of COVID into the world recently, I've had a lot more deaths in my circle than in the past. And that's saying a lot because... I have a lot of friends who are not a lot of friends, but a lot of people in the music industry pass away from drugs or alcohol or things like that, or, you know, um, just mental health issues. So this isn't a new thing to me. However, it was a bit more upsetting because it's not like he did anything to put himself in this position. He just passed away unexpectedly and it felt quite unfair. So I just wanted to say, if you get a chance and you haven't seen the episode yet, there's an episode with Robert Noyes, Mark Hoppus on here. Um, I really, really, really 
appreciate Robert. He was also a photographer. Go check it out. Uh, he had a lot of really good things to say. Mark as well is a funny, amazing speaker, but Robert was like, he's the reason that episode happened. Like I'm, I know Mark and I can hit him up, but he would have not have done, he wouldn't have done the podcast solo. And, you know, I thought having him and Robert on there was even more special because Robert was an amazing tech and he was a photographer. like I said, but he was the one who let me shoot for Blink-182 whenever I'd go on stage. And, uh, yeah, Mrs. Coffee. I'm going to miss your photographs. And, uh, that day I went to a, I forgot to say, but I, 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 coffee is something that I shared with him. He really liked coffee. I like coffee a little bit, but I just like black coffee. I like pour overs, nothing in it. I like the taste of the bean, specifically Ethiopian blends. And Robert took me to this place called, oh, I'm going to blank on it. Every time I go, I have to look it up. But, uh, I looked up the exact one we went to. It was called Porto. You know, I'm blanking off the top of my head, which makes me seem like a bad friend, but I'm not. I just only ever went there once with him. So I went there for a few hours that day and, you know, hung out with Robert, I like to say, had a coffee and just thought of him, missed him, and uh, then proceeded to go close by to Ikea and buy some plants because that's what one does when they go to Ikea. But Robert, thank you for the coffee. Thank you for the good times. We'll all miss you. And uh hope I don't have to say any more of these things anytime soon because only handle so many people passing away, man. All right. See you guys next week.